Welcome to Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen, an international menopause expert, author, and speaker. I help women go from feeling uncertain, uncomfortable, and struggling to experiencing a new sense of confidence, freedom, and vitality. My own story mirrors that of thousands of women that I have connected with through writing my book, speaking engagements, and coaching. Like you, I felt unprepared, unsupported, and at times dismissed by family, employers, and even doctors. That's why I created this podcast as a place of advocacy, offering facts, resources, and a community where you can become more empowered to take control of your menopause journey. Join us each week as we dive into honest, open, raw conversations on the topics that matter deeply to menopausal midlife women. From our changing bodies to our relationships, to dealing with menopause and aging at work and in society. My mission is to help you to tap into our collective wisdom so you can emerge more powerful, wiser, not just older, thriving and ready to embrace wholeheartedly the next chapter in your life. Welcome to another episode of Thriving Through Menopause. I'm your host, Clarissa Christensen. And today we're going to be talking about stress and some of the factors that really play into that. All of us, I think, can say we're more stressed than we've probably ever been. This pandemic has put a lot of us into a space where we're maybe more aware of how stressful life is. We know that the pandemic has dialed up menopausal women's stress in a way that has been visible for the rest of the world. And so today I'm really delighted to invite onto the show somebody who is a huge advocate, a practicer of holistic health and stress is one of those areas that I know she addresses, Claire Snowden-Darling. She is the founder of Balance Wellness and she's head of the School of Functional Wellness. Welcome to the show, Claire. Hi, Clarissa. Thank you so much for having me on. I'm delighted that you're here. For the listeners who haven't maybe connected with you before, tell us a little bit about your background and and really how you came to be in the space of working in balanced wellness and having such a great focus on women's health and wellness. So I trained as a kinesiologist first and foremost in 2006 after I'd gone through a very, very traumatic birth with my daughter and both of us had nearly died. And the whole situation put me into depression, postpartum psychosis, and ultimately chronic fatigue. And I was really just trying to navigate getting myself well and started taking more of an interest in diet, exercise, and then discovered the modality of kinesiology and realized this is what I was meant to do with my life and signed up to training and basically started my clinical practice. What I loved about kinesiology, and for those of you who don't know, it's actually a very it really is holistic in the broadest sense. We work on all the aspects of the body. So the biochemical, i.e. the nutritional and supplements and diet, the emotions, the electrical systems like you would with an acupuncturist, and then also the structural. It stemmed out of chiropractic actually originally. So we get to work on a bit of everything. And whilst that's great, we basically trained a bit like GPs. We could deal with you know uh, lots and lots of things that came into our clinical practice. And so there I was merrily, you know, teaching kinesiology and practicing kinesiology and also training in lots of other modalities and disciplines and going down the rabbit hole that is, you know, to the wonderland of holistic health and loving it. But 
I still, despite doing everything right for my health, still wasn't getting better. My fatigue really plagued me. I was really struggling by that point. I think I was about 36, 37 by this point. And I was really struggling with my periods. They were, you know, really irregular. I was told it was something to do with stress, but that felt a bit uh, intangible, I suppose. And it just got progressively worse and worse and then three stone of weight gain and then you know just the low mood coming back and I thought okay something really bad's going on here and I'd seen gynecologists and been passed off and I'd been you know I'd seen everybody repeatedly over and over again and eventually I think I just got far enough down the line to see an endocrinologist they didn't know what to do with me and when I finally saw this endocrinologist they actually thought uh, they were testing me for a very rare condition called she hands which is to do with postpartum blood loss my daughter was 10 by this point and actually it turns out that it was primary ovarian failure also known as premature menopause and so there I was at 39 sort of thrust into this premature menopause and realizing that I'd actually all of my symptoms had been perimenopause since I was probably about 34, 35. So I then, <laughs> once I'd recalibrated, started, you know, they just went, well, that's it, HRT. And I'm thinking, well, I don't really want to go down the HRT route. So I started to work with practitioners who were incredibly expensive. It, it never felt like I was really getting anywhere. I was using very mild bioidentical hormones, which I now use in practice. Eventually just lost my will to live, ended up on the actual HRT route using the body identical progesterone. That didn't cut it for me. And I've subsequently ended up quite by accident, actually, finding specialists who do the compounded bioidentical hormones. So my passion has become actually advising women about the different pathways, because I didn't know them, about the different options of HRT, about the options. Some women actually have a lovely menopause and just need a little bit of support here and there. And, you know, talking them through those stages and actually where I can, where, where women do just need minor hormonal help, then working with those bioidenticals bio for not the astronomical prices that, that women are now expecting to pay for, for a lot of these practitioners. And yes, stress has become my, I think the thing I shout about from the rooftops because I think we've become so numb to that word and we don't really realise what it entails. No, I totally agree. I mean, that's a huge story for you to go through. And sadly, Claire, that is too often becoming a narrative that women are going through these changes. They're being pushed around the system, not, not because doctors don't care, but because just nobody quite knows and they're not tuned into that. And they're looking at your age and thinking, oh, no, that person has something wrong with them. And then eventually you end up realizing that it is perimenopause, which could have been brought on by the trauma you had. Oh, I, I truly believe that 100%. The chronic fatigue and then the destabilizing of my hormones, I truly, truly believe it. Yeah, you're absolutely right. It is such a common narrative. And I get women coming into my clinic and usually I'm their last port of call and they're, you know, floods of tears going, I'm going crazy. What's wrong with me? And I mean, I remember a 55 year old male GP just just looking at me and saying, well, it's just menopause, so get on with it. And, you know, <laughs> the way that we're spoken to often is so demeaning and belittling. And I've been on a lot of clubhouses recently with GPs, actually. And they're very passionate about women's health, 
But they admit our hands are tied. There are certain regulations that we have to adhere to. In fact, there's a lot of information we're not allowed to give you. So ultimately, women are in the dark. Yes. And and feeling that there's something really wrong, but not knowing what it is. And I think just not knowing what perimenopause is or what to expect. But as you said in the other side, there are some women who just breeze through, make some lifestyle adjustments and seem to get on with it. Now, whether that's related to their genetics, their levels of stress or how they manage stress, should I say, or what they eat or a combination of all of those things is is hard to know. And then as there are people like yourself and other women who have a horrendous time. Yeah, absolutely. And I I mean, I did a talk about this a few years ago is why are we having, why does it seem to be that some women are now having such awful menopauses? And I do think, yes, genetics is going to play a really big part in it. I remember my mum didn't have the, the breeziest of times, but generally I think women are going into menopause depleted, overstressed, exhausted, and a bit burnt out. So at this point where their body has to go through this huge hormonal change, they haven't got the the bandwidth. No, absolutely. And I and I recognize how hard women push in their twenties and thirties now. There's always on stress, 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 do, do, do. And and then somewhere in your forties, but for most women, you are going through your as you rightly said, this enormous hormonal change and your ovaries are giving up their role as they should, but your adrenals are supposed to take that job on and they can't, can they, Claire? Exactly right. That's exactly right. And you know, (laughs) the more I talk about menopause, the more I talk about, bless her, I use her as as, as sort of an archetype, I suppose. I talk about my auntie Valda, who sadly is no longer with us and died in her 80s. But I think about her as a 50s housewife. And I'm not, I'm not belittling the way that it was for a 50s housewife, because, you know, I mean, actually, that that life would have driven me insane. And she was a smart woman and obviously very limited. So, you know, I'm not making this a political statement. But the way that her day would have worked would be rush, 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 get the kids out the house, get husband out the house, maybe do a bit of housework, have a sit down, have a cup of tea, listen to the radio. Then she would get up again, maybe go out and get the food for dinner. And then there'd be a bit of a, a flurry in the afternoon. And then before everyone's coming home from school, sit down, have another little rest, maybe do some needlework before the onslaught of the evening. Well, I don't know many women who now get to do the flurry and then a little sit down and rest. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm laughing. I'm laughing because because it's just because we have taken on a men's way of working. But when we come home at the end of the day, and when we're the start of the day, we're doing Auntie, Auntie Valda's job as well. Exactly. Exactly right. And so this is ultimately where I see I see the issue is that we're not respecting how women's energy systems work, how women's bodies work. And as much as I believe in equality and I'm quite a radical feminist, I think that actually the real power comes from admitting that our bodies work differently. And we can't just carry on like that. We need to have those little moments of rest and doing nothing. Yes. And, that, and the pandemic has just, I think, thrown that into the open, that women didn't just sort of go, oh, I'm working from home, how nice. They took on the bulk of the homeschooling. And as a, as a friend of mine said, oh, we're not making meals, we're running restaurants now. 
yes, that's such a good point. My partner works for a big corporation where one of the members of his team is a woman who works, who's now working from home full time and was homeschooling three children, as well as the cooking and the, you know, just incredible. I, I, I don't know how women have got through it. I really don't. No, and then that manifests itself, doesn't see it as being burnt out, as being overly anxious and all the other side effects that, of course, stress brings with it. Yes, exactly that. Exactly that. And so we use this word stress and the difficulty is it's almost become cool to be able to cope with stress. You know, I think that definitely was a thing in the 90s and early noughties was the more stressed we are, it shows, you know, the glorification of being busy. So I'm really stressed, which means I must be being very productive. And also we've forgotten what minimal stress feels like. I know a few years ago when my health forced me into stopping, and I mean really stopping, all of a sudden I realized, gosh, I get overwhelmed quite easily. Now, I firstly would have never admitted that to myself, you know, years before. And secondly, I absolutely prided myself on being a woman who could have a three-year-old run a business, be teaching in London and build a house. Of course. (laughs) Because this is what we've been taught. Whereas when actually these days I go, no, that's the overwhelm limit. Just going to park everything for a bit. So women aren't taught now to say, no, thanks. That's too much. I need help. I need a break. Um, That is definitely causing part of the stress. And then, I mean, just being in our environments is stressful. The amount of gadgetry, you know, the electromagnetic radiation that is everywhere. The toiletries, cosmetics that are causing, you know, they have chemicals in them called endocrine disruptor chemicals, which means hormone disruptor chemicals. Our bodies are just being so overwhelmed with, I I like to change the word from stress to stressors, the amount of stressors in our environment, in our diet, you know, just the daily having a couple of glasses of Prosecco or just a couple of biscuits won't hurt or actually, yes, it's putting more stress on your body. And I like to look at it as a bandwidth. You know, so if there's so much of your bandwidth taken up with environmental factors and then just work factors or financial pressure or children and then toiletries, we just don't have anything left for a crisis that means that our parents are suddenly hospitalized or our dog needs to go to the vets. And that's when we end up in a huge overwhelm and anxiety. And quite often I so can feel, and that was me, that was what I was like, I had no bandwidth left. And I'm so glad you brought in all those environmental stresses because they're, they're hidden. We don't even see all of that. Our household chemicals, our toiletries, they're not visible, but they, as you said, they do a tremendous amount of damage and they're worse when we're in, in a perimenopause phase, aren't they? Yes, absolutely. So to give people an idea, those chemicals, those endocrine disruptor chemicals tend to basically do become in the body something called a xenoestrogen. And a xenoestrogen is a chemical compound that mimics estrogen. But of course, the problem that we have in perimenopause is our progesterone drops off the edge of a cliff, which is where a lot of the symptoms come from to begin with. But then our estrogen is relatively higher. And so we call this estrogen dominance, don't we? But the issue is then when we have these chemicals that are mimicking estrogen, 
it's just more and more estrogen compounded into our systems and including these toxic estrogens that our body struggles to clear. That's where we're seeing anxiety, weight gain, blood sugar instability, lack of sleep, brain fog, all of the, you know, the glorious perimenopausal symptoms. And then if people have got any gut disturbances, we end up elevating histamine so much that then that's why we can't tolerate alcohol or suddenly become intolerant to shellfish and we've got the itchy scalps and the itchy skins. So there's this huge sort of nuclear bomb going off in our body. And like you say, a lot of the issues are hidden. So there's a lot we can't change. I think one of the things that brought that home to me was the movie Dark Waters. I don't know if you've seen it. If you haven't, I would. And it's about the, I won't go into a movie review, but it's a, it's a great movie about the litigation that happened against the people who created Teflon and about the PTFE and about how it's now a forever chemical and what it does to the human body and how we will never be able to get rid of it on out of the planet ever. It's, it's there forever. And it's so horrid. So there are things we can't change, like some of the environmental factors, but actually educating ourselves. Okay, I've already got PTF here in my body. We all have. Okay. But actually, I can change my toiletries. I can be careful of sugar. I can learn why dairy and wheat aren't great at this particular phase of my life. We can start to educate ourselves around the things we can control. Absolutely. And I love that. That's kind of the message, as you know, we both have know Jenny Burrell and I trained with her. And, and she's right. She, she and Michelle always talk about controlling the controllables. And they're absolutely correct that we can control certain things we can choose is particular that isn't it the toiletries that have high levels of perfume in them. So we can switch to more organic, less perfumed. We can choose what we want to take into our home and clean our home with, and and even the fabrics that we have. We can do all sorts of those things, as well as obviously the whole diet piece, which is huge, isn't it, Claire? It is huge. It really is huge and can feel very overwhelming. It's funny, actually, before speaking to you today, I was on a bike ride with a friend and we uh, stopped off at a cafe and you know social distance queuing and my friend and I were bemoaning the and it's another Jenny Burrell phrase actually the the occult weight gain happens I was like I put on two kilos in a week and I did nothing different it's just hormones and these women in front of me turned around and went us too us too (laughs) suddenly we're all having a conversation about blooming menopause but yes, it is, it is about controlling the controllables and understanding how diet at this time of life needs to probably change a bit. Yes. And I think it's not, I think women are being funneled into a kind of a weight loss diet sort of channel, which isn't necessarily helpful at all. It's much more about our intake. It's much more about what we're eating and how we're eating and even when we're eating rather than, you know, a kind of traditional calorie type of diet, which I, and I hate the word diet, actually, it's just what we eat, our nutritional intake is a better way to talk about this. I absolutely agree. And you're right. I think it was actually um, anti-diet culture day this week. So it's a great topic. But yeah, it's, um, it's not about focusing on weight loss. You're absolutely right. It's about focusing on hormonal response. And that was a big key aha moment for me was this realization that everything we put in our mouth there's a hormonal response to 
And that hormonal response is either taking us to detoxing the excess estrogens, fat burning, or stress and fat storage. And that was a big key. Oh, wow. It's every time. It's not just a case of, oh, I was really good today, so I can have a bit of cake. Just putting that bit of cake in my mouth is going to stimulate different hormones. So if I want to have that cake, there are ways of offsetting it. So again, thinking back to my auntie, dad, or probably even older than that, my grandmother, they would have had cake and cream. Now, I'm not advocating wheat, sugar, and dairy, but actually they were onto something. They had these natural fats. They had bread and dripping. They had peaches and cream. They, you know, they, they ate such good fats, whereas we all became so terrified of those fats in the 80s and 90s. And actually, it's our fats that stabilize our blood sugars, that stop the stress responses, that, that keep our hormones you know, healthy and actually help us make the right hormones. Correct. And I think we've suffered greatly from low fat diets because they've, they've ended up becoming high sugar diets. Ah, yes, haven't they? Well, that's the only way they can get any flavor into it. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> so you either, have, you either have tasteless food or you have to make it either with fat or with more sugar. And we are seeing a reduction in sugars now and that's sort of seeping through. But the fats aren't necessarily good fats that are in a lot of products either. No, that's that's where this can all become a minefield, isn't it? And and actually, you know, any starchy carbohydrate is a sugar. So people often don't realize that fruit is a sugar. And yes, there's vitamins and there's minerals in them. But by the time your body's processed the vitamins and minerals out, it's just left with sugar. So it's just learning. And it's not a hard job, actually. It's just learning what is a starchy carbohydrate and, and what do I need to eat with it? Because it's not about not eating them. We need those. We definitely need those in perimenopause. We need the, you know, to, for our thyroid health and we need them for the mood and the energy. But we need to make sure we're eating the right, and you know, enough proteins and enough fats. Yes. And, and I'm glad I had a, another nutritionist come on the show and she talked a lot about women being protein deficient, which I think we, we are, because then we immediately start saying, no, I'm not eating these proteins or we're, and we're cutting out a lot of starchy carbohydrates, but we're not filling up with high fibrous other products that are keeping us full. So a lot of women are going around not eating enough and not enough protein. And then they're cutting out fats and they're living on, I don't know, air and sugar. Yeah. Yeah, air, sugar and adrenaline. Yes, <laughs> yeah, you're absolutely right. It's, and then we start coming into, don't we? And uh, again, I think perimenopause is beautiful for this. It's this really being, it gives us the opportunity to focus on ourselves, maybe for the first time in decades, because we have to. And now then we have to start looking at some self-love. We have to start looking at some boundaries because we can't do everything. And then with self-love and actually not being in, self-criticism, then we will choose some healthier foods, even if they are higher fat. We'll take the risk of, okay, I've heard this is better for my body, so I'm going to try it, even if I'm terrified of all the propaganda that I've heard. Yes, try and see if you can, and even sometimes look back at what your grandmother ate, as you said, and say, well, the, some of the ways they ate was very in tune with their, with kind of traditions, with the seasons, they weren't afraid of a, a piece of cake or something, but they kind of balanced it in a different way. 
And I think they ate more regularly. I mean, you had three meals and as you said, you sat down and had a cup of tea and something a couple of times a day. So we didn't get to the end of the day absolutely starving and chow down pasta carbonara and two glasses of Chardonnay and then wonder why we feel a bit restless and can't sleep and wake up in the middle of the night. And that isn't just our hormones. That That's that interplay you talked about, Claire, of hormones and what we put inside ourselves and our stress because our minds are whirring. And, and then we, we try to put it all down to perimenopause. But, of course, it's this interplay. It is this interplay. It's this, absolutely this interplay. So this is actually where the main body, when I couldn't get well, it really spurred me on to doing some research and that's when I, so the whole body of work that we use in the college and that I use as a clinician is a model that I created called the Triangle of Hormonal Health. And it, it's, you know, there's this, there is an interplay, a huge interplay between our female hormones, our sex hormones, our stress hormones and our blood sugar hormones. And a lot of people don't know that actually one of the main blood sugar hormones is responsible for anxiety. So when people are anxious... Yes, there could be big emotional issues in their life. But my first question is, what's your diet? Because we might need to, you know, radically change that so that you actually get that particular hormone stabilized. And what people don't realize, so I always like to look at this triangle as a little bit like a stool, that it needs three legs in balance. We need our stress hormones in balance. We need our blood sugar hormones in balance. And we need our sex hormones in balance, so our progesterone and our estrogen and testosterone. But of course, in perimenopause, one side of our stool is already a bit wonky, which means that we need the other two sides to do their job even more, which means we have to be acutely aware of what we're putting in our mouth and, and the stress hormones that are going on in our body and do the work that's the bit, they're the controllables. The uncontrollable is the sex hormones. And then what comes off of that is the victims, we call them, are the immune system and digestion. So it comes down to, it is as simple as often as what we're putting in our mouth every day has this huge impact on all aspects of our health. Absolutely. And, and totally, I think it's that beginning to understand just how important what we eat is. And, you know, you're going to get a little bit more scientific under the hood. Then obviously we know that the the gut bacteria, the gut microbiome, you know, are sending messages to your brain. I mean, their whole system is talking to each other. And so if they're a bit out of whack, the chance that you're going to feel highly emotional is not surprising. Well, I mean, that's it's such an interesting field, isn't it? Because, I mean, the Gut Microbiome Project, it was only 2010 when we discovered there was a gut microbiome. This is still relatively new information in the slow-moving world of medical science. It's, it's, yes, it's fascinating. And we now know that in response to refined carbohydrates, our gut bacteria produce something called endotoxins. And these endotoxins cause not just inflammation, but they're the things that have a dramatic effect on our mood. And there's evidence that shows that people with depression and even suicidal thoughts have higher levels of these endotoxins. So this, this correlation between a refined carbohydrate diet and our mood, and yet we think that that's comfort food. We think that that's the thing that's going to make us feel better. And of course, it, it doesn't because it, all it's giving us is quick fixes of sugar, which the body doesn't. If you're under stress, that's exactly what the body's crying out for. So in some ways, we're responding to that. 
And you're right about the inflammation. I read The Theory of the Inflamed Mind by Professor Edward Bulmore, and he's a psychiatrist. And he, when he first trained, he trained as a rheumatologist, and he kept saying, this person has mental issues, depression. Surely we should be looking after what's going on with the mental state. And he was told, no, that's not your job. And when he was a psychiatrist, he used a stethoscope and got told off. <laughs> he was a trainee and said, no, you're not dealing with their physical health. And he said, but the two are interlinked. And of course, we now know that a lot of the stress-related byproducts can cross the blood-brain barrier and are linked to depression. So we've got a whole system where your, your gut is raising your stress and your stress is affecting your mood. And it goes around in a kind of vicious circle till you break one of those, which is either you manage your stress or you manage and you manage your diet. And then we can feel better. But no, 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 surely... The depression is just solvable with this handy little SSRI pill that's just going to cure all your ills. <laughs> I don't think so. <laughs> no, it becomes, and this is why I, I love this work more and more. And actually, I, I feel, and I don't know about you, Clarissa, but I feel like menopause has suddenly become trendy. It suddenly becomes something that people are talking about for the first time for a long time, I think. And, and menopause really does shine a massive light on all of these areas. And we get to start to have, we have to, and, and I know Jenny Burrell says this as well, is it shines a, a bright light on every area of our life that isn't working and then we have to address it. Absolutely. Because what it's doing is it's shining a light on our relationships it's shining a light on parts of our careers that we don't like, things we don't like about ourselves. And we can't run away from those things. No. And this is the real chance for it to change, isn't it? We're going to go into this new age as this new woman. And I don't, so many of my clients, and I don't know about yours, say, I just want to feel like me again. And I always say, you're not going to feel like you again. You're going to feel like a whole new woman. Yes. And I think we have a big journey to go that's about reflecting where we are, learning to course correct, which is what we've talked about lots up to here to now. But also there's a sense of having to let go, forgive ourselves and move on. And, and we have an immensely unique opportunity in perimenopause to do those things and then say, okay, what do I want and what do I need for the future? I absolutely agree. I mean, and it's exciting. I, I look back over my journey and just think, crikey, what a difference, what a change. I don't even recognize that woman anymore, even from five years ago. I mean, there are days where it's awful and I kind of go, when's this going to end? But it, it is such, I mean, you know, we call it the change and it's such a small little phrase for something that affects every single area of our life. Like nothing is the same again, is it? No, it's we're not the same and we gain a different kind of energy and passion and zest for life, I think, that comes when we allow that change and we work on it. And that's, I think, why so many women are becoming interested, not just in managing their symptoms, but in asking questions about their life, giving up jobs they've hated, sometimes leaving relationships that aren't working, setting new boundaries because we are faced and challenged at this time and that sets us into a whole new path of being i absolutely agree yeah i remember when i first started going through the sort of the perimenopause i i and i actually left my husband my ex-husband uh, four years five years ago now to just after i started going through the big menopause change and i remember him saying to me but this is just your hormones and i just looked at him and said yeah but that estrogen's not coming back and neither are you 
<laughs> Poor man, he didn't know what he did. <laughs> because we just don't have the tolerance anymore. And we, we do realise things that are draining us and exhausting us. And the beauty in not having enough energy in perimenopause means we have to put those boundaries in place. We do. And we have to learn something that I believe, and I'm sure you hear this too, Claire, a lot from your clients, is learn to rest and not think, well, this is a time for me to catch up on the cleaning or something I haven't done or all my social media, but to actually sit down and have quiet moments, be still, reflect and do, well, not nothing, but just be there with yourself. And you don't even have to meditate if you don't want to. You can just you could just sit quietly, and it's a nice day here today. The sun's come out after a few days of hiding, and I'm thinking, oh, it'll be nice after this just to sit down outside in the sun and just do nothing. Yes, and that's something that I would have never understood. And I call it bimbly time. Just I, I need to plan if I'm even still going to have a shower. You know what? What should take me twenty minutes? I sort of plan forty because I think well, I'll probably bimble before I even get in the shower, and then there'll be a bit bimbling after the shower, and everything just feels a bit slower. And but that actually allows me then to work at pace when I need to, and have the energy to exercise and. This is how we have to respect our bodies. It's just, you're absolutely right. That downtime, that rest, just allowing everything to go past us for a minute. And I think we go back to something we talked about earlier is that we are living at men's paces, but women's bodies cannot do that. We can't do that even when we're pre-menopausal, to be honest, because we're on a on a cycle that's monthly, that has up and down times. And really in perimenopause and beyond, all we've done is really dialed that up, that we need to be in a moving in a different way that respects our hormones. And it's not that we're less than men or, or want to be excused for our physiology, but we have to find new ways that works with it rather than against it. Yes, that's a really great way of putting it, not being excused for our physiology. It's the respecting that it's just different. It's different. Yes. And maybe the pandemic has allowed some of that to emerge because some women have felt better. Some women have definitely felt better for being allowed to work from home. I would say about probably 90% of my clients sort of crept in once we were allowed to sort of reopen last July and just said, is it awful if I say I've really enjoyed the lockdown? I'm like, no. They said it's been lovely just to do less, have food deliveries, just not really think, just do less. And I think it's made a lot of people really decide to restructure their lives. Yes. And, and suddenly you're not rushing everywhere all the time. I think social media has gone up, cr been crazily going up. And I sometimes I'm in some WhatsApp scripts and I think, oh, I can't. What's all this? Turn it off now. It's time to go to bed, you know, and this constant keeping up. And I just turn off. I switch off. So they probably think I'm antisocial, but I haven't got the bandwidth for that either. No, same. And so as much as social media is an important part of running a business these days, I've had to be really strict with myself because, again, I'd rather spend the time doing nothing, staring out at a nice view or just actually sometimes just sat there stroking my dog rather than mindlessly scrolling on Instagram or Facebook because... Yes, that then always leads me back to this self-love piece of what are we 
using the Prosecco, the Instagram or the shopping to fill? What are we using? What, what hole are we looking to fill? Yes. And, and why, are, why are we doing it? You're right. The whole and, and what are our emotions at that time? Are we doing it because we're bored or actually because we're lonely or we're not we're sad or we can't address some other feeling that we have? Exactly. And then the exciting thing here is when we have a mindful menopause, really go through it consciously and pay attention to all these things. We get so tuned into our body's innate wisdom that we then end up, you know, eventually the fierce, wise women that, that, that is so often lacking in societies these days, as opposed to the, I guess, the shriveled old women who end up in homes and not being able to contribute because that's what's happened is the not being mindful and just passing it all off shuts down our intuition. It shuts down our ferocity, I suppose. And so actually by embracing all of these things, by having our boundaries, our self-love, we're really transitioning into being those those wise old women that are still contributing, which is so important. It is so important. And in a way, that's a reversal back to how women were in a lot of indigenous cultures and older cultures where older women were revered for their wisdom, for their knowledge, for the role they played in society. We weren't shoveled off into a small dark corner and left to get on with things. And I mean, women's health in later age and the way we're treated is appalling right now. And I think we are the first generation that are going to stand up and say, no, that's not me. And and you can stop representing me with granny pants and clunky shoes and whatever it is you think is appropriate. And actually, we are wearing jeans and cool stuff and going out and building businesses and running for vice president of America and <laughs> yeah, because we can. Yes, exactly. And this is where it gets really exciting because it is about this reframing what menopause looks like. And I mean, I know when I was single and I was dating and it would, you know, kind of come up in conversation, what do you do? And I'd say, I'm a menopause expert. And I just have to watch these, this, this, this expression on these men's face. And I just go, yeah, you're not the man for me. Because see, we want the world to understand that it's not all tenor ladies. And sometimes that isn't a you know, necessity, although there's so many people, you know, training with the likes of Jenny Burrell with good pelvic health, that hopefully those things eventually will be not so widely required. It's, I think we're really restructuring and, you know, podcasts like yours essential because we're just claiming this is a different stage of life, but it is in no way lesser than. No. And I think my biggest high wish, and I'd love to hear yours too, is that our daughters and our nieces actually don't need a podcast like this in the same way, because it's something we can talk about, that it's part of normal life, that there is an adaption and an understanding, and that we can embrace the later years. And that 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 maybe we're lucky enough that it's the next generation. If not, it's definitely the generation after. I would really hope so too. I mean, in the UK now, we this is the first year, apparently the first term, that schools are teaching about menopause in sex ed. And so what have we been teaching up until now? I mean, clearly saying nothing and just expecting people to pick it up as they go along, which is shocking, especially at the age, you know, the irony is that so many teenagers are going uh, their, their mums are going through this. So they need to understand what's going on and 
actually learn a bit of compassion and empathy and to, <laughs> to work with their mums while they're going through it. So yeah, I agree. And to not have the stigma associated with it. Yes. And at, at work, we get understood and heard and not, and I think some of that will definitely come from younger women being a bit more aware than they are today. And that there's just empathy and we'll bring men into the conversation over time. Yes, I agree. So I think my wish would probably be that, and I know that I wouldn't have listened to this at all, but actually that younger women in their late 20s and especially in the early 30s, especially if they're starting to have children, really start to realise that every choice they make from then on determines what could be a 15 to 20 year part of their life. And so that if they start making good choices, then looking after their bodies, then, then actually their menopause might be one of those nice menopauses where they, people just need a bit of Agnes Castus or black cohosh, because I don't know many women who've got by with just that, rather than needing all these expensive bioidentical hormones, or that they might be, you know, available on the NHS by then, who knows, but that actually those decisions that they're making then will affect this huge part of our lives, huge, because it can go on for a decade more. Yes, absolutely. And I think that they take on board information. They don't say like they do now when you connect with them. They said, oh, no, I'm not 50 yet. Well, you know, this journey starts a lot early, as you said, once you've had a child. You're, and that, yes, we start to make changes. We start to learn to listen to our body, observe our periods, know what's going on, so that when we notice changes, we think, oh, I might be perimenopausal. Okay, what sort of additional help can I support, support myself with? Absolutely. And I would just really like for, the, for some transparency in the medical system where they're actually able to say, this is what we offer, this is what we don't offer, but that is available elsewhere so that women don't spend four or five years struggling, suffering, all of those things. They can actually off the bat go, right, okay, I understand this is going to cost me money, but I'm going to, if I can find that, I will. And I'm going to go off and do my own research. Yes, and that eventually we see medical schools change the way that they're training doctors so that there is really a stream to go down that's about lifestyle. And I think that stretches not just into understanding more about things like perimenopause, but how they, how you manage stress, how we actually should eat and move, or that there's much more openness to allowing other practitioners to be part of your practice. I agree. I don't think that sounds like a big wish list. Not really, but it, it's a huge, it's a huge difference from the way in which doctors are trained and the, how the establishment talks about that. So I think for us, it doesn't sound big, but for them to shift their perspective when a lot of the people who run the colleges are very formal, formally trained medical professionals, professors, and they're at, they have a certain view, and it's going to take quite a while to shift towards a more lifestyle approach, because most people are ill, as I know from talking to many of my friends who are doctors who are shifting, that it's lifestyle diseases that are affecting people and and not the more serious ones yes i'm i'm very interested to watch how the next 10 years pans out with you know there's so much radical awareness being brought now with you know the likes of you the stuff i'm doing the, all of the guests that you have we are all collectively making such a noise and promoting such positive change that i am very interested to see how the next 10 years rolls out I'm with you there. 
Claire, I'd like to thank you for coming on the podcast. I'd love my listeners to know where they can get in touch with you and the work that you do. Thank you. So, yeah, so balancedwellness.co.uk is my main website. Um, I'm also on Instagram in lots of places. So, again, Balance Wellness UK. Or also you can just look for me, Claire Snowden Darling, um, and I've got clairesnowdendarling.com. So, great, brilliantly, there's only me uh, with that name and my daughter in the world. So, it's quite handy for Google. <laughs> we can't mistake you. There's no other Claire Snowden Darling. I love that. I love that. Claire, thank you so much. I've enjoyed this conversation. It could run for days. It could. Thank you so much for your time, Clarissa. It's been brilliant. You're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening. If you have loved or liked this episode, then I would be deeply grateful if you would head over to iTunes and give it a five-star rating. My mission is to reach as many women as possible, menopausal midlife women who may be feeling alone, and asking questions. Why do I feel this way? Thriving Through Menopause is all about a community and our collective wisdom. You matter to me. Your feedback, opinions and stories matter to me. And I would love to hear from you. So drop me an email, clarissa at clarissachristensen.com. I genuinely want your feedback and your ideas on the topics that you would like to hear more of on this podcast. And if you are a woman who feels that they are struggling alone through menopause and you need more support, pop over to my website, clarissachristiansen.com. You can find free resources and you can book a one-to-one discovery call with me. Let's start conversation. Thank you once again for listening.